John watches The Mandalorian. Jake and I don't. Yeah. Jake is back on the podcast. Jake is back. Hello, hello. For yeah. the first time since the Oscars. It's been almost a year. It's good to have him back. It's great to be back. Yeah. And we're talking uh, We're talking big, big, uh, very not fake news right now. No, it's the realest um, news there is. This is the realest <laughs> news. We always deliver the realest news. Um, we are talking about our favorite films of the decade, um, our top tens to be exact. Yes. We've been working on this tirelessly uh, for uh, weeks, not weeks. Yeah. I started now, today. I started this morning, so I guess I'm different. But I know you've had an ongoing like um, <laughs> thought in your head about it. So like maybe in a concrete way, you started working on it today. But I know you've been thinking about it uh, for probably the past year. The past five years. So in a way, you've been working <laughs> on it decade. longer wow. than uh, longer. When than I realized, oh, the decade's on its latter half, I'm like, oh shit, gotta start yeah. on that list. Movies are ending in five so years. So even longer than uh, the pod, uh, the pod has. You know, the pod only has for like two to three weeks. So yeah, we got. Um, that's the best way to say that we have an expert uh, decade ranker on yeah. the podcast today. Um, we're looking forward, especially to hearing his uh, opinions on the decade list. Not, I'm not looking forward to John's. <laughs> oh no, I'm only here for John's list. That's all I'm here for. Mine is just uh, all of Christopher Nolan's filmography. You know, I, I, I can't. Movies. I can't wait to finally not hear someone's opinions. Who that is, John's on the podcast. Number one, Inception. <laughs> number two, Interstellar. Yeah, and then number th- all the eyes that. He yeah, number three, dunkered. Force Awakens. Yeah. That's, there should be an well, asterisk next to this episode because we haven't seen The Rise of Skywalker yet, which I know will yes. be in all can of our I, top fives. So. Yeah. <laughs> Go, can I make a disclosure that we also haven't seen Cats, ah, the Cats, new musical yes. starring Taylor Swift coming out in on Christmas? Yeah. So how can I make a decade list without seeing Cats? I've been dying to see Cats, so yeah, that's... that's the <laughs> cast is really unreal. Multiple asterisks uh, on this episode, yeah. Take it for what it's worth, yeah. In all seriousness, uncut gems and Little Women could yeah, end so up being on this list. Yeah. So, so we'll see. Um, but like, so this list isn't truly uh, final. But yeah. if, if for you know, we're doing the best we can. <laughs> you know, the holidays are coming yeah, up. Off the hook, come on, everyone. We have shit going on. <laughs> but even with, uh, yeah, even with like uncut gems coming out, Little Women, there's yes. still like, movies that came out this year. Yeah, maybe yeah. like a year from now, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, that'd definitely be on my list." But right this now, this has been I need like a rewatch. Yeah, exactly, this, exactly. This has really been one of the best years of the decade. Even just mm. studying the output of this year, just I don't have any on my top ten of the decade because it's so quick. It's too early to really judge if it stands the test of time yet. That's but a good point. It's been an insanely good year of movies, and hopefully, we get to talk about those. And yeah, awesome, awesome to close it out. Um, yeah, yeah. John and I, after this episode, after a brief break, 
uh, we'll be talking about our top 30 movies of the year, <laughs> yes. like a couple of psychos. <laughs> and I cannot wait to get all crazy in that. Yes. In that shiz. It's going to be wild. And yeah, I mean that the fact that we can do a top 30, I just think just talks to how like good of a year this has been so far. Really good. And there's still stuff yeah. coming out in the next like two weeks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So unbelievable. Yeah, 2019 is going to be a good year, and a year from now, there will probably be a couple more 2019 movies in my top 10 of the decade, but... Uh, let it simmer out, yeah. Let right it now, sit. right now, this is what it is. This is what it this is. is what it, uh, yeah. Let's so, get into um, it, I guess. Yeah. Let's get this thing rolling. Should we start with uh, the guest? We got to start with Jake. the guest, because we never know who to start with, Ooh. so... Because we never have a guest, literally, <laughs> ever. This is like it's when always you're a kid, you have a friend over, like, what do you do? Like, you're the guest. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's well, always a 50-50 toss with you. I made it. Does, uh, does he want a snack? <laughs> Do you guys mind if I list a few honorable mentions really fast? Because I won't sleep if I don't mention these movies. I, I think just really fast. I think personally that honorable mentions should be left for the end because it gives away what you're going to pick. It narrows it down. I, I, so I agree wait. with Luke here. Yeah, I think we should wait for the end. The honorable because then we're like, oh, he's not picking that okay, one. Okay, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I have 15 honorable mentions, but uh, you know, I'll narrow it down throughout this podcast. But let's start with number 10. So my number 10 uh, is a fairly recent movie. Um, it came out two years ago. And Call Me By Your Name is the movie, <laughs> um, directed by Luca Guadagnino. It's a movie that you know garnered a lot of praise for taking risks um narrative-wise, by having a gay couple portrayed on film in such a tender way, in such an intimate way. Um, But if you strip that away, why I think this movie will be put in a time capsule for not only 2017 when it came out, but for the entire decade, is that it's about growing up and discovering love and how tender it is, how you should really protect it. And, you know, Timothy Chalamet, who's the lead character in that movie... um, and Luke, I know you've seen this movie. I know you love it, so you can chime in too. Yes. But he he's not the typical just ignorant kid who doesn't understand love. He does understand love. He knows what he wants, and he goes after it. And what I love about that movie and that performance by Mr. Hunk Til- Timothy Chalamet, the, the talk of the town these days, um, he plays this sort of just, he's like this James Dean type where he's just impenetrable. He's like, extremely attractive um he he's really coherent when he talks he's like wise beyond his years but when he meets uh mr army hammer the hunk coming from america they just garner this whole relationship that's just truly based on you know an unexpected love and it's just extremely it's a really relaxed movie it's a movie you can watch when you're sad and it will remind you what's so gleeful and exciting about the world it's beautifully shot. It has an amazing soundtrack. It's bar none my favorite movie, I think, of 2017 and one of the best of the decade. What do you guys think about Call Me By Your Name? Yeah, so John, we talked about this movie yes, before we did. on a previous episode. Top five, first five watches of uh, 2019. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and Call Me By Your Name was my, uh, I believe, number, I don't, I don't remember what number it was, but it was on my list. One of the top um, five. <laughs> Not five, not four. Um, And uh, I, yeah, I, um, 
it was on my list amongst great company um, because I really loved this movie. I don't think it's, um, yeah. you know, just a great um, uh, film about a homosexual relationship. I think it is just a great relationship movie that tells a exactly. relationship story in a very um, genuine, um, real and more um, more beautiful way than uh, most uh, relationship stories that have been ever told in cinema. Um, so yeah, uh, I, this movie is a must see for the decade. It definitely, um, I will, um, uh, I will give you some insight in my list. It was number 11 on my list. Oh no. So just made, right outside there. made the cut. Wow. Just made the, oh, barely. Yeah. And, um, it's something I would, uh, rewatch again. And, uh, Timothy Chalamet is, um, the real deal guys, <laughs> the real, <laughs> the real fucking deal. Um, so yeah, yeah. Call me by your name is a great, is a great choice. Very, very respectable move by Jake. Nice. And, just, and number lastly, 10. what I'll, what I'll say about that movie is in an era of very, very, you know, problematic times you don't see movies that are just really this unproblematic and not a lot. There's not a lot of tension in that movie. There's not a lot of conflict. It's just about what is love and how do you protect it and how do you realize that you want love and how at such a young age, I should add, he's 17 and you know, you find something and you want to protect it. And, you know, not just, you know, it's not, there's not tension with his family in that movie. Like you would see in say any other LGBTQ movies, it's really just seeing it flourish and, hoping for the best for these two people that you grow to love and that the filmmakers love. And I think it's just a really important movie beyond our times. I think it's timeless. Yeah. Also, I think like what's so great in this, in this uh, woke period, this woke decade of not just life, but woke cinema um, where it is kind of thrown in your face. um, What it, what it is to be, you know, how like this other, um, uh, historically discriminated group of people feel it is a film uh, call me by your name doesn't do that it is it is not um, about like what it's like to be gay at all it's just about a relationship it portrays it in the most normal way um, the most normal way there is and um, yeah. I think it should be commended for that yeah it's a celebration not not condemning anything and it's so pure and that's why I love it yeah, and this is one I'm ashamed to say I still have not seen. And mm-hmm. with, I mean, both of your recommendations, I've been dying to see it, but I can't find it streaming anywhere, which is one of those <sighs> things for me that I, I always... <laughs> it's I'm, a deal breaker. It's a deal breaker, yeah. I could always rent it for a few, do- a few bucks, but I just... I, I n- it is worth those $4, John. I, I might just have it. to do it because I, I never see it streaming anywhere, so I think I just have to fight the bullet. Spend $4, John. I need to spend the $4 and see this rather than just sit on my ass and wait because, you know, it's not going to come to me. I I'm a go piece of shit because now I realize I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. I'll FedEx you my Blu-ray. Uh, and then you can watch it. Oh, there it we free. go. Yeah, it's like... How about that? Uh, sounds, OG sounds Netflix. Very, yeah. Sounds very worth the effort. OG Netflix days. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh, yeah, I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Um, yeah, anything else to say about your number 10? I love it. And that's it. Cool. <laughs> Check it out. All right. Uh, Luke, do you want to go with your uh, your number 10 now? 
Yeah, I'm I'm ready. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my number ten is a li- is a film by a well-known director. He's pretty well. He's pretty well known. Uh, Martin Scorsese. Uh, uh, it's a little 2013 film starring Leo DiCaprio called The Wolf of Wall Street. Ooh. The Wolf of Wall Street, they call me. Yeah, exactly. I was, <laughs> stole my stole my line. Stole my sorry. Stole my line. Uh, <laughs> yes, this this film we all I we, I'm sure we all saw it. Yes. Right. <laughs> Seen it a few times. Uh, the whole world, the whole world saw it. Yeah, oh, this is a big deal. Not, yeah. not only, yes, exactly. It's a big deal <laughs> kind deal. of movie. It's a big deal kind of movie, John, for my number ten. <laughs> um, Starting so, out hot. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's coming out swinging. Great movies in your top ten. Coming out swinging. Um, what's uh, so? Yeah, like not only did everyone see this movie, but they saw it like you know, like ten times. Like everybody. Yeah. Um and it was it was uh, met with uh various various reviews. Um like for instance, um the friends I was a um I was a business major at the time, a finance major and I had a br- I had a group of finance friends. So when we saw this movie in 2013, I believe I was 19 years old. I was like, this is going to be us. That was my initial reaction of this movie. And I, it was also, it was not about just about that. It was, it was, a, <laughs> we got into the making money aspect. We got into the comedy aspect. We got into the fast paced, um, the fast paced debaucherous environment for a, um, for a dumbass 19 year old. Oh, oh, like it is no, like it is no better for that. But, um, I've also watched this movie since then, like another probably ten times, and I have grown to learn the various layers and interpretations, and also um, misinterpretations of the Wolf of Wall Street in exactly. in the sense that there is a group of people that. Um, understand this movie. They understand that it is about um, consumption in America, overconsumption to be exact. It is about um, it is about um, the problems. Uh, once again, like most movies, the problems with uh, capital capitalism and um, and then there's a group of people who are you know they're disgusted by this movie. They're disgusted by all the you know. The debauchery, the sex, the drug use. Um, just think it is. Think that by promoting these um, lifestyles, that it is um, that that it is wrong. And then there's the people that believe that it is per, that the Wolf of Wall Street is uh, basically a celebratory movie to capitalism, to drug use, to um, overconsumption, um, to economic inequality, to um, rising a capitalist ladder, and that is the was by probably watch three or four the mentality I adapted on the Wolf of Wall Street, and I finally realized, and I and not only did I um, gain uh, perspective on my own life and 
as well as this movie I, um, as I learned this. I also um, realized the many layers and the many um, intricacies and subtleties to the movie um, in, in just how it was able to impact so many different types of people and make them think so strongly in so many different ways. And it is not only that, it is just a damn entertaining, well-fucking-made movie with Leonardo DiCaprio's best performance. I was saying to Jake earlier that um, Marty Scorsese moves the camera and fills the frame in ways like he never has. It is a constant and edge-of-your-seat entertaining ride. And that uh, long um, ramble is why I just really have always loved The Wolf of Wall Street and think it is so amazing and was a last-minute uh, top 10 nominee uh, for this episode. Wow. Um, yeah. With that, it sounds like it would be your number one with that passionate <laughs> That's speech. what I was about to say. Is that your number 10 or your number one? I can probably talk about it better than most of the other movies, but yeah. <laughs> wow. It is an older. It's 2013, it's so there's I've, a lot of time I have, to it, I've probably watched it, it more than any movie in my top 10 and thought about it more than any movie in my I top 10 that. to, um, to I clarify mm-hmm. uh, why I might know so much about it. <laughs> That is definitely one that um, I think a lot of people have seen multiple times. Yes. Uh, it's a very rewatchable one. And it, it is one that was, at the time in 2013, was like huge. Because there were a ton of people who yeah. thought it was just kind of influencing this like bro culture of... <laughs> yeah. Which it did. It did yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it indirectly did. There's a bunch of people who are like at frat parties and right now going like, uh, yes, yes. You know, there's even I mean? a song and that these. Mm. I know people who I was around in college would always play this song <laughs> called Jordan Belfort. Yeah, yeah. me too. And it's I don't like, know if I ever heard that song. It's one of the worst songs ever made. It's terrible. <laughs> but I, I swear, I heard it like thousands of times in college, just being in rooms of other people, and I couldn't, I couldn't stand it. Um, it's hard to comprehend how that's. Yeah, it's an influential like figure in these people's lives. It's insane. I could go even deeper into like stories I had with my roommates <laughs> at the time, um, but I won't because I've already gone too deep into <laughs> into this, and we have a lot more movies to go. That's a whole nother episode. Just, yeah. whole nother, Luke's Wolf of Wall Street. Three hour <laughs> yeah. podcast. Um, yeah. Three hour solo episode of your experience with debauchery in college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well that's a um, great movie so yeah uh, obviously you guys i do love also the like the wolf street. of wall street so i i <laughs> yes. think we could just uh everyone else here knows about the wolf of wall street uh we can just uh wrap yeah. it up there <laughs> yeah definitely one that would probably be in my top uh 15 or 20 for sure it made my top yeah same here nice mm-hmm. um, all right then yeah you What's yeah your number i guess 10? i'll go into my number 10 which is just added within the hour wow uh to my list uh it drove me so i don't know it it drove me wild just trying to pick a number 10 out of like the five or six that i um had in that spot that i had to rewatch this one oh wow um just like today this morning so i I think uh, i saw i think i know what you're gonna say yeah oh wow (laughs) Uh, after after rewatch, I, I decided okay, I think this should go in, uh, and it's the nice guys. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Shane Black movie. Ooh, Shane Black. Yeah, and uh, this was a movie I initially, the first time I saw it, really loved. And then as I started making my list, I realized, uh, oh, like the nice guys. I remember loving that movie when I first saw it. Uh, but I don't really really remember too much about it other than thinking it was, it was really funny. Um, just sort of a, a great take on like a 70s um, private investigator type uh, type movie. Um, so I had to rewatch it today because um, I had I had about three or four other things ahead of it. And then after rewatch, I liked it even more than I did the first time. Mm-hmm. I had to throw it in there. Uh, Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling, I think their dynamic is – uh, hilarious so funny. this yeah ryan gosling especially I, the <laughs> he's like this hunky guy that that women swoon over all the time but yeah he's so funny and so e- like pathetic in a way too, oh yeah in this movie um that i yeah I, I ryan gosling had uh, a ton of great movies i feel like in the 2010s um yeah and this was probably my favorite is but uh yeah just super fun um and and much much funnier on the second watch than I than I remembered, um, but still sort of a great crime movie uh, in itself too. And uh, and I definitely I really like Shane Black too. I think he um, his style of humor um, is a bit different than just your sort of standard comedies. Um, definitely, you can sort of blend blend crime and uh, and comedy into a an effective mashup. It's also yeah. a Christmas movie. Yeah. Like every Shane yeah. Black movie, it's a Christmas movie. Yes, it's also Christmas. Look at you, look at you John, yeah. throwing it in there on the holiday <laughs> I'm season. I'm jealous of you that, just, yeah. You just can't get enough of the holidays, can you? <laughs> I can't. I watch anything that has any sort of reference to Christmas. That's that's what I do in December. So, yeah. That, yeah, no, that's a, be... that's a good pick. That's uh, That fits uh, that fits you. <laughs> the movie really speaks to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what I love, I love Shane Black, uh, Aside from that Predator remake, which I heard was just atrocious, mm. I don't know if you've seen it, John. I didn't. I skipped. I have, it. and I did not. Like it. <laughs> Aside from that, like if you look at Iron Man three or Kiss Kiss King Bang Bang, you know, like he brings back a genre of like seventies and eighties crime thrillers and sort of updates them to a modern time and puts really real human beings in their situations, and it, that's why it becomes comical because Ryan Gosling's character, he, like you said, he's a hunky, just worthless idiot but his arc in that movie is amazing like he he musters the courage to be a good father to his daughter and Mm -hmm. he solves the crime and it's amazing and he's always had like a really just sympathetic view on you know like cops which is really something you don't see in film and they're like these are real people who have families and and he finds the humor in that too so like you you're comfortable with these people and you know gosling in that movie i think I thought he was incredible. I think it's one of the yeah, best brilliant. comedic brilliant. performances yeah. that he's ever given. And he he's super funny when he needs to be. I really like that you uh, just uh, reminded me of this in general because I didn't even put it um, on my list anywhere. And it really was just a delight when I saw it in the theaters, like however many, however many years ago. And yeah, it deserves it deserves it deserves to be on a list. <laughs> so good, yeah, it's so good. Yeah, I felt after rewatching it, I was I was just thinking, wow, yeah, this made me laugh. Yeah, so much that I yeah I deserve to to include it on. Yeah, here. I I, I totally things. remember just having like a smile on my face as I walked out of the theater. Yeah. 
Um, There's a moment where it's so like silly <laughs> that it just Ryan Gosling uh, just starts like screaming out of like pain. Yeah, and it's yeah. The, one of the funniest that. noises that I've ever heard <laughs> in, my, in my life. Yeah. I started laughing so hard. Yeah, it's um, yeah. Shane Black really likes uh, those classic like Raymond Chandler um, PI novels, um, and uh, having just read a Raymond Chandler book this year, I, I don't know, I it connects to me a little bit too because I also enjoy these movies, and this is one that a lot I, of uh, noir, right? Raymond Chandler, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the big sleep. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, and he, uh, I, I always say this about movies, um, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. Which, um, yeah, I, that's, I, I the just John, it. that's the John Stamp. That's right my, my tagline right there. Yeah, um, so, <laughs> you know, Knives Out didn't take itself too seriously. Every movie on my list doesn't take itself too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> every movie on my list is laid back and has just a sense of humor. Chill. Yeah. And Love occasionally, yeah. occasionally has a shootout scene. <laughs> yeah. And there's so many guns too. I'm just a big gun nut too. You, you know, know, it's so. a Leone in space. You know, yeah. you. <laughs> oh yeah, we got to save the Mandalorian talk for. for oh no, episode. yeah, yeah. <laughs> save All it right, up. Nice. Yeah, that's a good. That's my number it's 10. a good number ten, guys. We got through the number tens. Yeah, we did All it. Right, Jake, it's time for your number nine. <sighs> nine. Really creeping up to that number one, aren't we? Um, mm-hmm. Number. <laughs> Number nine, um, full disclosure, I know Luke has this way higher on his list, but I had to put it on. Um, I believe you guys have discussed this film on the podcast uh, way long ago, but I have to include Spring Breakers by Harmony Corinne. It is, in my opinion, a masterpiece. I think it's a singular. I tried very much to include just very distinct auteur movies from really specific directors you know like movies from directors that couldn't have been made by anyone else and spring breakers really stuck out as just how the hell did this get greenlit how did a24 decide that they were going to throw money into this film but it's because it's harmony corinne and no one makes movies like harmony corinne he has a really specific fan base um i know luke loves him obviously um but this movie is shot by it's shot like nothing else that's ever been shot before the cinematography is just insanely gorgeous but above that it's about like he was saying with wolf of wall street it's celebrating debauchery and hedonism and putting every american seeing that film was taken off guard because like oh selena gomez vanessa hudgens disney stars in in this movie about spring break and it takes you on more of a spiritual journey than that. And it really examines what it is to break out of your shell and really do what you want to do in life. And in, in the case of these girls, it's go to spring break, have an amazing time and really quote unquote live and do things that you wouldn't do. And it's like a fan, it becomes a fantasy land for them. And that whole style of that movie is dreamlike for many reasons. It's because it takes the audience and the characters on this really just, you know, to quote Luke, like a psychedelic uh, journey uh, through this, <laughs> this liquid, uh, this, this, this very, <laughs> just when I talk about spring breakers, I sound crazy, but it really means a lot to me because it's, it takes so many risks storytelling wise. 
you know, it, it presents you with these very foolish lead characters and they fall for this complete sociopathic, psychopathic in James Franco and you and that movie convinces you 100% they need to be with this guy. It becomes a love story. There's so many levels to this movie, but the main reason I put it on this list is because you can dissect it from so many different angles. And Harmony Corinne is, I think, is one of the most just singular filmmakers that we have today, especially ending the decade with The Beach Bum, which is a great film. I think Spring Breakers represents culture in a really interesting way, filmmaking in a really interesting way, and for me personally, just inspires me to make what you think the world wants to see, no matter what, and see the world in, through your own lens, and that's what Harmony Corinne does, and I, I know Luke loves that movie. John, do you love that movie too? <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 you yeah, respond, I really like John. <laughs> Not to put you on the spot, I'm just curious. Because <laughs> uh, spoilers, I will be talking about it again. <laughs> spoilers, oh. Yeah, I actually, I hadn't seen it prior to our, when Luke and I did our top 10 of all time. And Luke <laughs> oh, wow, jeez. <laughs> yeah, we did our top 10 of all time. It was the first thing we ever did. Yeah, just right just out the gate. Our, just blew our load right That's there. coming out swinging, yeah. And from there, um, I watched it. And this is this is one also just like Wolf of Wall Street that was super, I guess polarizing. When Mick, it came yeah, out. extremely exactly. polarizing. Exactly. Got really bad um, reviews. Yeah, yeah, and I really liked it. And I this it was the first Harmony Korine movie I'd ever seen too. Um, and I can, I guess I could I could see after seeing it how it could be misinterpreted by the general public. Oh yeah, uh, in a way, but um, yeah, no, it's um. It's one that caught me off guard how much I enjoyed it because, yeah, on on its surface, it, it doesn't seem like something. It, it it seems like on its surface what everyone was saying about it. Yeah. Um, that it's just this horrible movie about these, like, these just white girls who go to go spring break and party and bullshit. And, uh, and then there's, yeah, there's so much more to it than that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's one that sticks with you for a while, too. And I think you have to go into it with an open mind rather than thinking about, yeah, um, I guess what everyone says it is or what you think it's going to be. Yeah, you got to like not. approach it different differently each time. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a it's a journey like uh, understanding that movie. I'll keep it I'll keep it at that because I have to talk about it again. Yeah, that's a good pick though. I will end and say if I had a top ten performance list of the decade, I would put James Franco at in the top 10. I think he's astounding. I think he disappears into his character. And I think he, you know, on the surface, like I said, he's a, he's a drug dealing rapper and he brings dimensions into that movie where you, and maybe it's just me, but I start to feel for him. And then you see like how his upbringing just shaped him and how lost he is in this world of, of just debauchery and craziness. And, no spoilers, but his his ultimate end is pretty tragic, and I think that's James Franco's best performance. Yeah, no, I think it. Uh, I think it easily is. And um, I was talking last week um, about how I'm on a like weird James Franco performance yeah. <laughs> run, and I mentioned uh, that um, this is like where the weird, goofy, creepy 
side of James Franco's persona as an actor was oh, yeah. utilized to like the best legit perfection. Best. Yeah. Um, you cannot do a creepy James Franco better than this. Um, yeah, it's my favorite Franco performance easily. Awesome. All right. So let's, uh, yeah, my, uh, I guess I'm going. Now you're up. I'm, I'm up. <laughs> All right. My number nine is a, uh, little film made at the beginning of the decade we're all we're going all the way back to 2010 here folks uh a little film by david fincher and written by aaron sorkin called the social network starring jesse eisenberg andrew garfield and brenda song and justin timberlake (laughs) don't forget army hammer and Army Hammer with playing twins <laughs> the and, and Army Hammer, yeah, yes, Army yes. Hammer and Army Hammer. <laughs> Speaking of spring, spring break, you know, like uh, Vanessa Hudgens, <laughs> she bangs uh, James Franco in a pool. Brenda Song from Disney Channel is in this movie from Disney Channel, and she blows Andrew Garfield in a bathroom. <laughs> That's why wow. you love that movie. I get it. <laughs> so, so that's and that's it. why it's my number nine. That is my number nine. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> if she, if it was like banging in a pool, it'd be number one. Like for that such. Um. So yeah. Uh. The Social Network. I know you guys have both seen this. I don't even need to uh, ask. You've seen this, right, John? Uh. Yes. And spoilers. It's also something I'll be talking Ooh. about later as well. Oh yeah. my oh, God! Wow. wow. I love it when our swords cross. Um, so yeah, uh, speaking of speaking of relevancy, have you guys used Facebook lately? Uh, the Social Network is—I've rewatched it probably, you know, like five or six times in the past decade since it came out, and I have endlessly discovered new layers to it. Um, not only in uh, just the obvious relevancy to the times we live in, but to the um, to just the uh, the endlessly intriguing um, character dynamic between Mark Zuckerberg, played by brilliantly by Jesse Eisenberg, and the people around him. I think this. Um, I think this movie gives just brilliant insight into the man who created, um, who invented uh, social media, basically. Like, not not invented social media at its um, first and foremost, but invented social media to where it became as big as it was. You know, like, he was able to creatively yeah. take social media and make it as interactive and as addicting and as popular as it was, you know? Like, there's a great line in this movie by Justin Timberlake where he says, they're in the club, and he says... You know, people will live on the internet. And it's a great line because, I mean, literally we're podcasting right now on Google Hangouts. Um, he was and, right. um, yeah, we're all living on the internet, guys, and boys and girls. And uh, it's it, it just, it's, I mean, it's, and it's not, it's not just, um, it's not just that, but just the fact that there was a lonely, Harvard, um, Harvard genius who had just tremendous social problems, um, at least the way this movie is portrayed, um, invented a site to interact on the internet, which is, um, you could arguably say has contributed 
to um, a growing uh, withdraw withdrawnness among self-expression in society and moved it to online, um, I think is just a brilliant move by screenwriter Aaron Sorkin. Um, I am not the first person to say that Aaron Sorkin has made a brilliant move, but I will say it again because I love The Social Network. I think it is a brilliant movie. I think it is a brilliant take on one of the biggest technological advancements um, that we have experienced um, in our youth. And yep. it is also just a brilliant character study, a brilliant character dynamic, a, a, a movie that just really doesn't let up with Fincher's um, Fincher's pacing and also Sorkin's uh, Sorkin's just amazing um, writing and dialogue, um, I watched I watched this movie more and more and like get more and more of an experience out of it. Um, and I feel it is one of those where it is so relevant that I just I feel like I am watching um, the birth of a new generation and I'm watching. Um, I'm watching just time. I'm watching time travel go, and um, I yeah, it, it, I, it is such an it is such an important movie um, that like everyone has seen. But even nevertheless, I still I, I still think that like mainstream audiences don't realize how much it has to say and how important it is to the time we live in. Um, yeah, the Social Network. And I I. I'll, I'm gonna talk about it less once it gets on comes up on my list. Um, so I'm gonna. I'm sorry if I took a lot of your uh, your ideas. <laughs> no, or, I loved or it. Your word, loved it. Or your words. No, I loved. I, no, that was amazing. <laughs> Especially gonna, the Brenda song blowjob part. I know you're gonna talk you took about that. that. Yeah, I mean, for you, like, you took that out of my mouth, but yeah. He had that like on the top of his notes. That's what he was gonna lead with. Yeah. Now there's Screw really now. nothing left for me to say. <laughs> Uh, but I, I agree. Could... It's a super important movie for like our time and our generation. And it's, it's crazy to me that it was made in 2010. Yeah. yeah. It seems mm -hmm. so like, I think I got Facebook. In I believe we were sophomores in high school, John. It, it, um, yeah. yeah. Jake, you were like in like eighth grade or something like that. Or I had Facebook grade. too. Yeah. It's and sixth grade. And like it, I believe 2010 is when I became like addicted to Facebook. You know, oh, like yeah. when I first started and I like was like, okay, this is how I am going to, um, you know, it's like a side hustle to navigating high school. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like it's kind of what I started to do. And yeah. It's insane. Yeah. That's, I even, I even texted you yesterday a yeah. picture of my memories <laughs> yeah, yeah, of yeah. me saying, like, yeah. why did, like saying stuff that doesn't, I said I was playing <laughs> Call of Duty with Luke Mueller. Yeah, and it's like like I need to put this onto the internet for yes, some and, reason. Yes, and John ended the the stat his status with oh yeah, like oh, as in yeah. like as in look out, ladies, we're we're listening to Led Zeppelin, we're playing zombies, like check Have this you out. Heard anything as cool in your yeah, life? As yeah, that. shoot yeah. us a like. How about you? <laughs> you know? And I yeah, think I think two was, people liked it. I can't believe only like two guys that. liked that status. Yeah. Was it you both know? of you guys? That yeah, was yeah, both yeah. Of you guys? <laughs> yeah, we were in our yeah. base. We were in our basement uh, playing Call of Duty and listening to Led Zeppelin. And John made a status about it. Ta yeah, and everyone was 
tagged me Everyone in was it. talking about it. Yeah. The next day in school, <laughs> everyone was like, "Oh my god, did you hear what yeah. Luke and John did?" I think we I think we made <laughs> the talk uh, the of the the school. Yeah, I think yeah. we made the basketball team <laughs> after that and you know, we were in the school yeah. paper. We all. started dating the cheerleaders. Yeah, was, <laughs> yeah. Uh <laughs> Great yeah, movie. I, what Great a movie. dream team too with uh, David Fincher and Eric. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's my um, favorite David Fincher movie out of um, the long list, um, just because it is so brilliant. And I, mm-hmm. I like most of David Fincher's movies. I've had uh, vast, deep experiences with a lot of them. So, if you really think about it, they're the perfect pair because they're both so methodical and just precise yeah, about everything. Yeah. Like they're the most calculated people, I think, in Hollywood from a directing standpoint and then a writing yes. standpoint. If you pair it them is. up yeah, together, very, it's just the most yeah. well-oiled mach- machine of a movie. Like it is, mm-hmm. it is flawless on a technical level and on a storytelling level, and just missed my list. It is a great movie. I think Sorkin would also work with like a director. You know, such as I mean, if if say if uh, Martin, Marty Scorsese made this movie, that'd be almost uh, too fast, and we would probably all have headaches and, and throw up. But I think Sorkin <laughs> would have Scorsese, seizures from that movie. I think Sorkin and Scorsese would also work very well, just as a uh, random uh, a random point to uh, to bring to yeah. that. Yeah, I would love that. So yeah, that's maybe Scorsese would have put De Niro in uh, Zuckerberg with <laughs> he would, Zuckerberg he with the shit out of De Niro. It would be like it'd be like high mom De Niro. <laughs> Joe Pesci is Eduardo, and oh, oh, that'd be yes. great. Oh, we missed Damn. that. Now oh I hate God. the Social Network guys. Uh, fuck. It's like what Mark, why been? don't <laughs> Mark, why don't you give me my money? Just the most <laughs> intense scene at the end. That'd be amazing. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Nice. All right. That was your number nine. Yeah, John. That is your turn now. All right. Uh, my number nine. So this is a movie that uh, I will admit it. It takes itself seriously. I think. Oh um, no. Oh, yeah, which <laughs> serious yeah, I'm, filmmaking. I'm throwing a, a curveball in here <laughs> from my personal taste, but uh, I went with Ex Machina. Oh, okay. Uh, the Alex Garland movie. Yeah, which is uh, uh, I had to include it because it was a movie uh, I, I saw when I, I guess I was starting to really like that year. I think 2016. I was starting to really get into to movies even more and wanted to see. Um, I guess anything and er- everything that was uh, important or quality. Uh, yeah, I'd say the same. I'd say the this. same for me. Yeah, and I and I, um, and I saw Ex Machina just based on word of mouth, hearing uh, hearing a lot about it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, ended up really loving it, and um, it, uh, it's really just four, three or four um, uh, characters that you're really following the entire yeah. time. And I think they're all great in it. Um, uh, obviously, they're not as great in this as they are in Star Wars. <laughs> Oscar Isaac and Donald Gleeson. Uh, and uh, you really, I, I, you really can just relate and follow Donald Gleeson's character throughout the whole story, and you feel kind of isolated and, and um, just sort of confused as to where you are, what's going on, yeah. what's uh, yeah. what's really going on here, and. Um, and then I guess towards the end, if you haven't seen it, spoilers, but you kind of realize that 
maybe Donald Gleason wasn't really the protagonist throughout the whole film that it was really Alicia Vikander's yeah, character. Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's one of and, my favorite things probably about the film. Yeah, definitely cuz I remember yeah. not liking Donald Gleason and I was like, man, he's so boring and he's just <laughs> doing his job and then yeah, and that yeah, the end scene where she goes off into, you know, to find herself really um yeah, puts the whole movie in perspective as a whole. Mhm. And yeah, and leading up to that ending, I really, I was really enjoying it. And then, I didn't see that coming at all. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, when it when it happened, I was it, yeah, it made it that much more enjoyable. And uh, uh, yeah, I almost, I felt like I was, I was in the story along with Donald Gleason. And then, um, you know, as soon as sort of the twist comes to the ending, I felt like I had been played by uh, Alicia Vikander's character in a way. So. Uh, yeah, Ex Machina, and, it, and of course it looks beautiful too. It looks it great. looks incredible. That um, movie had an yeah. ultra low budget, and the practical effects of her AI, like you know, like the top of her head and her design, that it looks incredible. Like you rarely see, mm-hmm. you rarely see AI look that great, and that's a major accomplishment in that movie. Yeah, and go back and I've I've watched like some behind the scenes footage, I guess, of of making it and just seeing that compared to what you see on screen with her. Yeah, yeah, incredible, definitely. Um, I believe this movie was my uh, intro uh, to Oscar Isaac. Oh, where I was yeah, like, this might have been mine too. Yeah, yeah, where I was like, who is this cool rich badass wearing <laughs> sleeveless shirts? Does he wear sleeveless shirts even? <laughs> Yeah, he lifts a lot of weights in yeah. a tank top. Yeah, and he's and he has a like, kind of a. And I was like, "Who is this guy? He's cool as fuck." He has kind of a gut going on, and he's he, he plays a perfect eccentric billionaire yeah, and, mastermind uh, perfectly. Who know who how important he would be as a, you know, a face of <laughs> a face of cinema for the decade. Yeah. Oh, he's been a huge actor for yeah for the decade. Yeah. Too. That dance. Yeah, my... He does that dance sequence at uh, in front of <laughs> Domino Gleason is. <laughs> incredible dude i totally yeah. forgot about that i need a review <laughs> yeah. i need to youtube that it's perfect watch it after this podcast it's incredible yeah. I, I mean uh, so lucasfilm has done pretty well at getting some of the best actors of of the decade into their movies so. oh yeah oh no yeah, yeah they uh yeah they picked methodically yes yeah well that's my uh my number nine ex machina great pick all right Jake. My turn again, number eight. Yeah. Funny you mentioned David Fincher uh, a few spots ago, because I also picked a David Fincher, and it is not House of Cards. It's not <laughs> Mindhunter, although they're both great. Um, Gone Girl, I had to include. I think. Nice. I think like everything you said about Social Network that we all said about Social Network on a technical level from a he's like we said he's one of the most precise just ocd filmmakers every shot is perfectly placed it's like a puzzle box but above that in the case of gone girl in 2014 we had a lot of interesting movies um about the media you know you had that um you had nightcrawler which comes to mind which portrays the media as the villain of the movie yeah. You know, like, simply Gone Girl is a disappearance story. You know, like, Rosamund Pike goes missing. You don't know why. Ben Affleck scrambles like a buffoon 
to figure it out, which, by the way, is perfect casting. Just a man who's been ripped apart by the media for decades and who has said the wrong thing at every turn. Ben Affleck is perfect in that role. I think it's his best performance. But just a movie about how deceitful the media is in painting who is the good guy, who is the bad guy. Who do we trust and what source do we use that is trustworthy in any sort of media, whether it's social media, whether it's the news. And aside from that, this movie is a really, really intriguing thriller. Like you don't, like you said about Ex Machina, you're put in the shoes of Ben Affleck, you know, which, you know, you really don't want to be because, you know, later on you figure out he's really the antagonist of that movie. And you see it unravel in such a methodical and bleak way that mirrors so much truth about how men treat women and how every single moment matters in a relationship and how he was so oblivious to that and how Roseman Pike's character, who gives an incredible performance, like she is transcendent and really set a bar for, for that type of performance, but the way that movie unfolds is, is, is something that Fincher really has tapped into is we can't trust anything and there's no credible source of, of relationship or even how you see it on the media. And I just think that movie, if you're going to tell me what was the best movie to represent the early 2010s and how, how we really didn't trust each other, we, you know, social, social media was a big aspect of that, like Facebook and people were just not trusting each other in any sort, sort of way. And I think gone girl portrays that through the media and its characters in a brilliant way. And above all of its commentary, I think is a really, really engaging thriller, which I am a sucker for. And had to make my top 10 it really changed my outlook on how we view the media but also how filmmaking can be just a mere reflection of what's going on in our world so what do you guys think about gone girl that's yeah i love gone girl i it's now hearing you talk about it more it's one i realize i need to rewatch because it's i haven't seen it since the first time i saw it in 2014 yeah um yeah, a great, solid David Fincher thriller. Rosamund Pike, and yeah, she's incredible in it, and, uh, and Ben Affleck, too. It's, uh, yeah, and it definitely, the I, I feel like now, more than ever, like the media has become, um, has been shown in the spotlight a bit more as to how negative it can be. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's I think on a rewatch now, it will be even more, like it's powerful in a way. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That was some solid insight. I my main I think the main thing I'll say from this movie is that when I saw it, I think I saw it with I saw it with Jake and I um it was his second time seeing it and um I just remember that and I I've seen it multiple times since then but I'm just talking about my first time. My first time I remember that afterwards for like the last 2 hours all I could, I was in like a just I was just zoned out thinking about it and <laughs> I, I couldn't this. stop saying, I couldn't stop saying, I was like, that was good. And I like, <laughs> I like just didn't understand why, you know what I mean? And I, and, and um, I think Jake's insight brings a lot to probably why I liked it so much, but also just due to the fact that it is such a um, intense, well acted, well um, constructed thriller. Um, 
but yeah, that first time I saw it, I was literally speechless afterwards for like I remember. two it was hours. Amazing. It's all I thought <laughs> about for the next like couple hours. And people were at people, you know, I think I, we were with a bunch of our family. We're at a family party. We're at a family yeah. party. And people were asking me, like, Luke, why are you why are you being so weird? And I was like, just saw, I saw this, Gone Girl. Saw this movie, Gone Girl. And I'm just thinking about it. It's so crazy. The the girl, she She's gone. She, cut, yeah, <laughs> she cuts herself open and shit. And, and yeah, um, it, it, yeah, what, like when it comes to theater experiences of the past decade, it's up there. You know, I have to say it's one of it's in the top five for me for sure. Oh, I yeah. was going to rank it on just that alone of theater experiences. Yeah, and I'll just say I similar to you. I, I took two friends to see that movie. Um, cause I was a huge David Fincher fan in high school and no one else knew who he was. I was like, let's go see this new thriller with Ben Affleck. And they were both just like you. They just didn't know what to say. They were blown away. And there's a shot in that movie that I think is one of the most iconic shots of the decade when they're doing a press conference for his wife. Cause she's like a famous writer in that film, Roseman Pike. And Ben Affleck is standing next, he's giving a speech like, Oh, we'll find her and all this stuff. And they're like, oh, let's pose for a picture. And he's like, he stands next to a picture of his missing wife. And he gives like the stupidest smile in that picture. And they're all like, fuck, it's going to show up all over Twitter and Facebook. He hates his wife. He did it. And that's just how we misinterpret just a single image on, say, if you see it on Google+, Twitter, whatever. That speaks so much truth to how ignorant we really are to the true story. And I think that that moment and everything else in that movie sums it up brilliantly and it's weirdly i think is a really good companion piece to social network and i just think a masterpiece uh, you heard it here it's it's the media <laughs> the media the media the fake news media <laughs> yeah it's fucking with us always <laughs> all right that's a solid number eight number eight number eight yeah all right, my number eight, I have talked about on this podcast a lot. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> almost, too, almost too much to the point where I feel like how, off, how much should I even talk about it? But Oh, boy. It is Mission Impossible Fallout. <laughs> yeah. Dun, dun, yeah. Dun, dun, dun. Tom Cruise, man. <laughs> Scientology. It's not a bad one to talk about a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, like, my list is very much filled with a lot of woke mi- movies um, that, not just woke movies, but also movies that are relevant, woke and relevant movies that I feel had just general impact on, like, just, you know, just on portraying society and... Um, Made you know making people more aware of the times they're living in. Um, Get this woke. one is the fun one of my list. Not just the fun one. I I decided to put this movie on this list mainly because I have contemplated on whether Mission Impossible Fallout is the best action movie ever made, like multiple times. I have wow. I have thought about it. I ha- oh. I have that high regards of much of high regards of this movie. Like I have been. A huge uh, 
just fan of the Mission Impossible franchise, and I thought, like, you know, Ghost Protocol, I thought Rogue Nation, I thought they knocked it out of the park. I really did. I thought Rogue Nation especially captured that um, uh, a director of the pod, Alfred Hitchcock, pod director, fan, Shout out, <laughs> fan yeah. of the pod. Uh, uh, fan of we, um, Rogue Nation really just captured, like, the fun... Um, the fun, charming, uh, funny set piece to set piece um, influence of the spy genre that Alfred Hitchcock left to us. And I was watching Rogue Nation like, all right, it's not going to get better than this. It's really not like I, it's impossible. Like, if anything, they can somewhat match this. But like for me, this is it. And then I started to hear, you know, Mission Impossible Fallout is amazing. I started to hear it. I saw it in theaters um, we were talking about top five theater experiences. This is de- would definitely be in the top five theater experiences because this movie is a must-see theater movie. I would say that this is a must-see in a like stadium movie. I will go that far. <laughs> this movie is like Kanye West stadium status movie. Like if the like it took it for me. It took. What Mission Impossible already had to another level with both just heightened heightened um, importance of action sequences and just dram- dramatic intensity of sound design and editing to just weave in this incredible action movie that I don't think there's been an action movie that has like required that you see it in a stadium in a stadium like i truly believe it should because the sound truly comes from the sound truly comes from all directions there's an intensity level that i just feel is unmatched from not only the franchise but most action movies and it is strictly like not due to the fact that tom cruise is doing all his own stunts um, the fact that Tom Cruise is doing it all in this movie, but just that Christopher McQuarrie is just taking this franchise to another level and just doing it better over and over again. Um, yeah, I, I, I shouldn't say any more. Uh, uh, I just think that this film is amazing, and I could rewatch it over and over again. I always have an incredible experience with it. And it was also on my top five uh, scores of the year. I love the score of this movie. I could listen to it over and over again, get you jacked it's up to uh, so maybe do uh, maybe so work good. out if I ever felt like it. <laughs> yeah, Mission Impossible Fall. Yeah, we talked about that. That was both on our top ten of 2018. Yeah. Uh, Definitely, probably yeah, in the yeah, in, probably uh, around the top five range. Like, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. And great. looking back on it, it's, it's definitely movie. my favorite of the year. Which is, it's like it's a like really saying something for me when an action movie is ahead <laughs> of like you know like Widows, uh, Beale Street can talk and like support the girls, support the a girls, Star is yeah. Born, all good these, year movies, all yeah. these just important movies, really important. But I did not, I do not enjoy them as much as Mission Impossible Fallout. I'd be lying if I did. And yeah, I just, I had to give it a spot. I just had to. Yeah. And it's like a a big blockbuster franchise movie. Like everyone knows Mission Impossible, but it's extremely well done. And I, I, yeah, it's just like crazy to me to think that Tom Cruise is doing all this when he's (laughs) 
Uh, he's what like 80 50. now and he looks like he does yeah, yeah. 85 yeah. <laughs> yeah he runs across rooftops and you are you are with it you are buying it like he's a, yeah he's an animal I, I don't understand i don't understand how he is a human being at all <laughs> yeah um, yeah on many levels but yeah that's yeah. it's yeah. weird to talk about movie. this movie like in a rational way without sounding like i'm just nerding out completely but yeah i just I um I've always just m- been mind blown by it, so that's why I might se- seem inco- incoherent sometimes. Yeah, Mission Impossible Fallout. Awesome. Yeah. Great pick. Good pick. Number eight, right? Yep. I'm already getting number lost. Eight. Okay. Uh yeah, then I guess uh move on to my number eight, which um is one that I felt like I had to include something by this director because I think he had he had uh, quite a few uh, big hits this decade. Um, so I went with Sicario. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, Denis Villeneuve. Denis uh, Villeneuve. Jake and, yeah. I, Jake and I both really like Sicario. Yeah, Sicario. I, 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 yeah. I really it's loved um, Sicario and Blade Runner 2049. I ended up putting this one in ahead of it. Um, but it's, uh, wow. A movie I, I had just heard good things about. Um, so it just ended up casually watching it and, uh, yeah, it took me for a ride. Um, there's so much I could just say about like the last 15, 20 minutes of it. Oh, um, Benicio del Toro. God, Benicio del Toro. Yeah. So, uh, he's so amazing. He's a killer. He's a killer. He's a killer. He's a Sicario. (laughs) Just when he goes, um, he says in Spanish, but he says like, "It's time to meet God." Time to meet God. Like, oh my God! Oh my yeah, yeah, God! Yeah. Wow! It's <laughs> cold blooded. John is like, "Whoa!" It's the most cold blooded line. Yeah, no. Ever spoken took, on the screen? I forgot yes. about that shit. That is crazy. And everything leading up to that point <laughs> in that. that sort of sequence when he, yeah, when he's um, just going on this rampage, and he's just—it's just so like. Yeah, it's so tense. Yeah. He's sitting at this kitchen table with this family. Yeah, and he just he just says, "Unreal." Time to meet God. Yeah. it's like yeah, your heart just stops. It's like oh my god. Oh man, that uh, <laughs> yeah. I almost wish I uh, I put this movie in my top ten right now. Man, yeah, you're making me think of it. Yeah, inc- yeah, it is. It, it's another one like uh, like Ex Machina that I was the whole time I was really enjoying it. But then it's sort of the last um, the like, third act. Yeah. yeah, it's that third act that really like makes you just love the movie and uh, yeah, and just kind of blows you away. Yeah, I, I, lo- I just love how it, it's a movie that's able to like tackle the what is going on at the border, but not make mm-hmm. it a big like news thing and like just make it like its own singular movie and about just so much more than just what is going on at the border. You know what I mean? Like there's obviously the complications that exist, but um, it is very much about these characters and um, how they are reacting to their, their dangerous environment. And yeah, I, it's, it's probably definitely my favorite Denis Villeneuve movie, who is a, mm-hmm. one of the most relevant directors of the past 10 years. Denis Villeneuve actually just got voted on, I believe it was Variety, as the most successful director of the decade, and it makes sense. He he hit it out of the park like five times in a row. Yeah, he's very much the Chris Nolan of the 2010s. Yeah, and what I love about Sicario is is it's really character based. Like you really follow 
you're Emily Blunt in that movie. Like you're going in blind to this to the bleakest possible universe you could ever imagine. And she's enduring, but she ultimately gives up because it's the most hopeless conflict you could ever imagine. And it's rare when a film just ends so cold. And she's like, yeah. what do we do now? Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. I guess you make Sicario too, because there's a sequel, but yeah. <laughs> I, Roger Deakins, yeah, and, right? Roger Deakins. Roger Deakins yeah, shot yeah, that it movie. It is so it's, desolate and it is yeah, it grows you grow feeling so isolated as you're with Emily Blunt as she just hopeless. Like, yeah, she starts to she lacks understanding of uh, Brolin and um, Benicio del Toro and the men she has uh, chosen to work with. She starts smoking cigarettes more. Yeah, I, I just I really do love Sicario. Um, it's yeah. also got the uh, the signature. Uh, Mrrr, yeah, like, you know that movie, Johan, that movie Johan sound that's in score. a lot of Villeneuve Nolan yeah. movies. That mrrr, yes. as it's showing the Rio, like the border, and you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Love Sicario. That's a great pick. Yeah, yeah, and that's one I had to uh, I had to watch just watch that scene with Benicio del Toro in the end too. Yeah. It's um, breathtaking, yeah. Too. And you can see, and because it's it's not just a plain sort of story about cartels or the border, it's you can you can see what led Benicio del Toro to this sort of um, ending, yeah, um, as like yeah, savage and insane as it as it seems. Yeah. It's weirdly justified in mm-hmm. that world, which is just it's crazy when a filmmaker can make you think that's okay. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> but there's a scene also. I think if you're gonna rack up scenes from the decade, there you know the border scene mm. when they attack the, the 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 cartel members in their car is one of the best moments of tension you'll ever see. I think ever. You know, like Mission Impossible Fallout level of tension where it just yeah. it's building and building and building. It's so it's so well staged. Uh, the performances by Benicio and Emily Blunt are just it's so desperate I, that that whole movie yeah is, you're right it's just, it's just a pitch perfect thriller and really sadly relevant movie yeah exactly yeah relevant relevant to which uh yeah i guess important for our time for uh the decades of the 2010s yeah but, uh, yeah to end it on a downner <laughs> i guess <laughs> that's so my now we can that's move number to, eight <laughs> yeah now we can move to number seven Alrighty. Um, so my number seven, uh, I, I'm fairly positive that neither of you guys have seen or heard of this movie. Um, but hopefully that my quick review will, will make you guys want to see it. And hopefully the listeners will want to see it. Um, it's a film called two days, one night. It's a French film directed by two brothers. Their name escapes me at the moment, but, this is a movie I actually saw recently from a friend's recommendation. Um, it stars Marion Cotillard, who you might know from Inception. She's in The Dark Knight mm-hmm. Rises. Mm-hmm. She's really the only she's, uh, <laughs> reoccurring. Uh, she's uh, Rajah Gould. She's the. I am. She stabs the son Batman. Rajah Gould. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the daughter. And <laughs> I'm Rajah Gould. She's, yeah. yeah. So yeah, she yeah. stars <laughs> in this movie. Um, you know, she's in, she's really the only film character that no one's ever really used again um anyway she is absolutely incredible in this movie Uh, it's a really simple plot um she works at a factory and she is at the risk of losing her job and 
the only way she can save her job, which she desperately needs because the economy's tanking in France, she needs to provide for her family, her two children, and her husband. The only way she can save her job is that she asks all of her coworkers to vote for her versus voting for a Christmas bonus. And it's such a simple story, but it's a really desperate story that we need because we're people are at, a, are at a crossroads where it's like, do we choose what's better for us and we'll be financially independent and we'll have, you know, a little bit of cushion in these insanely rough times, or do we help someone, you know, get by for a little by and Marion Cotillard is the film is structured where she just goes from apartment to apartment, house to house, pleading and just asking will you take pity on me will you help my family and it's so real it's so authentic her performance is so just feels so lived in it feels like anyone you know who who has suffered from just not knowing where, where their place in the world is and just give me something you know it's give me this shitty job that i hate just so i can provide for my family and you go with her on this journey and you know every victory of yes, I will let you keep your job or no, I'm going to take my own raise. And she goes through like 10 or 15 of her coworkers and every small victory feels like the end of mission impossible fallout where like (laughs) he beat, he beats Henry Cavill. It's like, Oh my God, she gets an endorsement. She's, she's she's going to keep her job. And it's so important because it's, we, this sounds, this is getting too philosophical, but Human beings need to help each other. They need to be there for each other. And this that's what this movie represents. And like Call Me By Your Name, it's not it's a really somewhat prescient issue, but it's a timeless thing. Human beings need to help each other, especially in desperate situations and especially in a time where we're so divided, we're so worried about ourselves. People are selfish, let's be real. And that movie is deconstructing all of that. And it's you know, let's help each other and not think of ourselves all the time. And with that message with Marion Cotillard, I think is top five performances for me. It's a French movie. <laughs> so the, the dialogue is really quick witted and really fast paced. Um, there's really funny moments in that movie. It really gave me all just every emotional beat of um, a small movie like that. That's very genuine. And I watched it a month ago and it, it actually made my list, which is crazy. It affected me that much. And I really hope you guys watch it. And that's what I'll say about two days, one night starring Mary Cotillard. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you know, John and I will add that to our list. Cause that's what <laughs> yes. we do. We just, we increase our watch list and then we get lost yes. in our watch list. That's what we do here. <laughs> Don't have enough to watch. Yeah. <laughs> never, I never do. And it's very <laughs> nice to have a, a foreign film on the, on the um, top ten, I don't have I, I don't have one on my top ten. I'll spoilers. I'll say that right now. Um, so yeah, it's it's good to hear the first one, especially since um, we have very um, kind of like seasoned American uh, directors <laughs> for our our first three each. Um, I believe so. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, hey, Denis Villeneuve is. Uh, he's Canadian. a Frenchman. That's yeah, I was true. gonna say he's French Canadian. Yeah, he's French Canadian. So it counts. Yeah, a French, <laughs> Easy a with your slander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I. You're right. I have not heard of that one, but uh, I'm definitely gonna add that to my list. Nice. Please do. All right, Luke. You're up. We're on number seven. 
All right. Seven. So next film. The next film, it won Best Picture over La La Land. And it's hard not to cry <sighs> when talking about it. Barry Jenkins, 2016, <laughs> Moonlight. Uh, yeah, ha- there's there's got to be a place uh, for Moonlight for me. Um, it was that important of a film. Um, and, and this goes back to the list of my ongoing list of in my top ten of just woke movies. <laughs> and Barry 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 <laughs> Jenkins Barry Jenkins is Barry um, Jenkins um, Barry autobiographical um, almost film is kind of it kind of contrasts call me by your name in a way where it gives insight on what it is like to struggle to come out as a gay man, as an African American growing up in an impoverished community, um, as we all know. And, um, it is just, yeah, it's, I just picked it simply just cause, um, it is, um, easily one of the most, uh, beautiful, uh, tragic, um, movies of the decade. And, um, Barry Jenkins is, easily one of the best you know new directors um if not the best that this decade spawned um and this is his defining work it is his most personal movie um and i yeah i just i just had to have a place for it so i thought why 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 not in front of uh an you know the action movie i decided to put let's uh (laughs) let's compensate by putting a um moonlight a very uh, another very meaningful one so yeah yeah moonlight i like it more than la la land actually (laughs) what you and the academy yeah i know i'm such a yeah i'm that guy sadly i feel like it's it i think it's well it's i also like it more than la la land and it's more of an important movie but I feel bad that it's definitely overshadowed by that whole facade. Yeah, that yeah, That's yeah, true. yeah. For the for the for the mainstream world in a way, but I feel like the, yeah. you know, there's plenty of people who just hold it, you know, hold it so mm-hmm. dear. Um, yeah, it also it's like a lot. It's kind of along with that movement of kind of that's been in the 2010s, where like independent filmmakers who, you know, who have come from nothing, you know, just trying to, you know, come out of the garage, if you will, you know, just making movies, short film after short film, kind of just telling, um, you know, Lady Bird is an example of this, just telling their, their story almost as if writing a novel for themselves. And um, it's like open doors for, um, for filmmakers to continue to do this, like using film as a form to tell your experiences and your story um yeah so yeah that's why i decided to have on this list i think it's just not only just so beautiful and tragic and um an important movie um i just think it's super influential for you know for decades to come yeah i will i will say i have i have moonlight further up on my list um so i will talk about it later um but like you were saying with Barry Jenkins, you know, he comes from a very independent, just personal background. And fun fact about this movie is that he quit making films, I think about three years prior to this movie. And cause he'd been rejected. No one was financing any big projects that he had or any, you know, in this case of moonlight, small projects. Um, and what brought him back is this story, this autobiographical story. And it's kind of inspiring in a lot of ways that, this one small just 
heroic story of that was based on a play, by the way, brought him back and just launched him into being one of the most celebrated filmmakers of the decade. And, you know, with that, and if Bill Street could talk, it just it speaks for his, him for him as a filmmaker that we need him. And it's great that he, you know, persevered and now he's working full time. So I'm, I'll talk more about it later, but that's a great pick. Yeah, I'd say it's almost a miracle. I would say a miracle, but I'd say it's like amazing, and I'm very thankful that this won Best Picture because usually yeah. I heavily disagree with the Best Picture uh, winner. Um, That's the one. That's and this is one. one where I'm like, yes, that deserved it 100%. I agree. I'm all for it. Like, thank you. Much different than Green Book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the sh- even the even like you know the sh- the Shape of Water for me, I I still like like I like the Shape mm, of Water, yeah. but I'm still not like hundred percent like that was the best movie of the decade easily. You know, like a lot of things going for it, but like when it comes to you know movies like Moonlight in comparison, it's like not on the same playing field for me. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's weird how they can give that same award to moonlight one year and then a couple years later give it to <laughs> green very, Book, which yeah. i feel like it's just a very basic very like, fishy hollywood it's very cookie yeah. cutter race movie it, yeah it's really ridiculous but whoa the it, white guy likes fried chicken this time. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> have a piece of that kfc yeah <laughs> wow that's actually a scene in that movie wow vigo yeah. mortensen eats kfc and hands one to mersha ali and that's the oscar moment mm-hmm that's yeah. What, yeah. Mahershala Ali and both of them though. Yeah, in both movies I was gonna <laughs> yeah. say that's, there's a through line. Um, there. Yeah, on another note, Mahershala Ali is fucking killing it. <laughs> he's yeah. so good. He's really good in Green Book though. He's the one thing yeah. about that movie that I really liked. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, he is great. Um, all right. Number nice. seven. Uh, my number seven is one that um, won some awards at the Academy Awards uh, as well during its year. Uh, I think 2015. Um, but it's uh, Mad Max Fury Road. Yes. Yeah. Uh, my my t- good my testosterone pick, from like Mission Impossible <laughs> Fallout. You know, picking that is like so with you on this. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and really, what I think at its core is a feminist movie. Uh, oh yeah. Way. There's a lot of feminist. Yeah, Charlize is in unbelievable love that love her in this yeah she should have won the oscar for that it was insanely good yeah yeah and it's one that uh it's called mad max fury road and it's obviously based on or it's included in a um, series of other movies where max is the main i guess character main protagonist but really this feels like Charlize theron is, is you know this is all about her and her legion of of strong women and yes. everything and uh um but on top of that overarching it is just an incredible action movie uh that i absolutely love yes. looks so amazing and looks so good everything is just like choreographed so satisfyingly uh in a way that um it's it's it moves along just as fast as they're all driving along yeah. fury road mm-hmm. yeah, yeah it's uh, exactly that's the uh, the pace of the pace is the pace of the convoy yeah yeah and it's uh yeah it never lets up and it's um yeah it's i have i'd never seen a mad max movie before fury road me neither well, yeah i had never as well really yeah and since then, i still I've have not seen a mad max movie too. 
You guys haven't seen Road Warrior? I haven't. I I've seen. Um, I've seen the first one and the second one. Is the second one Road Warrior? Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah, sequel. Okay. Um, I liked both of those movies. Mm-hmm. They're um, solid, but nowhere near the level that I that no, I uh, loved yeah. this one. Yeah. Um, and and I even I loved not only all the action and the the themes that are actually it, it seemed like a woke movie um, beneath all of this action. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, even I loved how it went over the top too. It's they're driving yes. this car where this guy is playing a a guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like fire is yeah. coming out never, of it. Like, <laughs> never gets old. Who comes up with this? Yeah, it's like it's like insane, but it also like it, it was also so much fun. Yeah, I would I would put this movie on my like Mission Impossible scale of stadium status action movies that I kind yes. of you know you like that must be watched it. You got to watch Mad Max Fury Road at the Red Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Like, like, yeah, it's definitely a stadium move. Uh, movie yeah, too. it's just yeah. that incredible, <laughs> that high, um, that level of stunt work, that level of pacing, um, and just like Mission Impossible, just the sound design and the score is just unbelievable, and it just doesn't let up. And yeah, yeah. If yeah. I wasn't gonna put Fallout, I would have put probably this just for my like amazing mm. action movie slot on this list. Yeah. I saw, it? I saw Mad Max six times in theaters, which I think oh is the God. record. <laughs> I think it beats. I think it beats the record of any film I've seen consecutively. Yeah. I just couldn't get yeah, enough. When this and every everything you guys have said, like that movie, every frame is like a painting, which is rare for an action movie. It's just so well shot that I I just I could just throw on my Blu-ray anytime and just watch it, even without the sound, and be like, it is so gorgeously shot and george miller who comes back like i think the movie he directed before this was happy feet <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm like 100 percent sure uh babe pig in the city before that like he went down a family route and he comes back to make the most i would say next to mission impossible fallout i guess the most ambitious and well choreographed and most thought-provoking action movie of the decade and i think that's a great pick it, it very closely made my list as well it is it is incredible. Yeah, when this yeah, when you it's crazy to think the guy who made Happy Feet and Baby yeah, exactly also made. This. Yeah, when this movie yeah. was on HBO, it was like one of those where I like if whatever um, part it was on, I would just keep, I would just like go with it, you know, and finish it. And I did that like six mm-hmm. or seven times, and I just couldn't get enough of it. Yeah, it's act- it's one of those. Anytime I've uh, when I go back to my parents' house. Um, who they still have cable, and if I'm just watching TV and it's on, I I turn it on. Yeah. Uh, no matter what point in the movie it's on. Yeah. Is that the same year as Sicario was Mad Max Fury? 2015. Yeah. yeah. 2015 was a great yeah, year. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that year yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's my number seven, Mad Max. Love it. All right, so number six is another very celebrated director. Um, quite in the vein of Fincher and Scorsese. Um, and a movie that I think culminates everything that this guy has worked for his entire career. Um, just in terms of, of, of showing us who we are as a society and how ridiculous we are as a society. And that is Spike Lee's Chirac, which I'm a huge Spike Lee fan. I Do the Right Thing really 
changed the way I look at filmmaking and, you know, how, how race relations are much more complex than what they teach you in grade school, which is nothing. And that movie really shaped many things for me, having seen it in high school. Um, you know, other stuff like 25th Hour and, and Summer of Sam and, and recently Black Klansman, which I loved. But Chirac really culminates everything in terms of race relations and uh, sexuality and feminism and war and gang violence into one just really explosive ensemble movie that is just so angry at the world. And that's a common thread in my movies, I guess, is just having the audacity to show us how ridiculous we are to each other. And the plot of Chirac, which it's very sprawling, but the women in Chicago, which is all shot in Chicago, by the way, which is awesome. uh, They go on a sex strike until the men stop uh, killing each other, basically. And they stop using violence to solve their problems. And that's how the plot sort of unfolds. And Spike really explores every facet that he's ever wanted to explore, you know, like I said, with race relations and sexual relations and and men versus women and how we perceive each other. And it does it in a very heightened way in very Spike Lee fashion. And I had to include it because Spike's, you know, top five filmmakers for me, I think, you know, Black Klansman's another great choice for the decade, which I love. But this movie really is his most, I, th- I would say, his most ambitious movie to date. I know Luke loves this movie, too. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my number six, Chirac. Yeah, this is uh, another really, like, polarizing movie. I think it probably is. the most, like, it, it, out of the list so far, um, probably the most uh, uh, public-wide hated movie that's uh, on that's on our list so far, um, but yeah, I, I like I I would urge everyone um, to uh, have an open mind and try to <laughs> watch this movie and really see what Spike is uh, trying to go for because I was really um, enthralled when I saw it. I, I really couldn't believe how ambitious and how um, just how much energy it has. It has an unreal, yeah. unmatchable energy. Um, and, uh, an incredible John Cusack performance like, <laughs> that is, uh, YouTube worthy. Um, and so good, so much hip hop infused, um, uh, infused, uh, musical elements in it that I fucking loved. You know, I'm a sucker for that. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, I loved it. A, a little fun fact, um, to you, both of you guys, um, who, one of the actors in this movie, a background actor who I think raps in it, um, auditioned, not auditioned, but he put his name in for uh, a little short that you guys helped out with called In the Couch last summer. Um, Oh, yeah, I remember that, He put in a little, he put in a little, uh, a little casting uh, notice, and I saw he worked for Chirac, and I watched his reel. I'm like, yes, that is very much a scene from Chirac, and that is... That is him. He's in this, like, musical scene, and, um, yeah, it's crazy, crazy that he auditioned for something I was trying, not a, wanted to audition for something I was trying to make, um, 
2020 hindsight, long-term thinking in a way, I just for that, I should have put him in it, uh, even though <laughs> I didn't think he worked. <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, uh, yeah, yeah, that is uh, my personal relation to Chirac. And yeah, I love it. I think um, people should see it. And the people who hate it, I humbly disagree. <laughs> Dang, world's colliding. Wow. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Chirac is still one is still one I haven't seen and I've come so close to watching it. And I it honestly bums me out just hearing the words Chirac. Uh, yeah, yeah because it is. It's a bummer of a phrase. Yeah. It's, I do I love Chicago so much, but there's also so many issues. Yeah. Um, but I feel like Spike Lee is the one to make a movie. If anyone's gonna say um, that, use that phrase, I mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely Spike is yeah. my guy, but I got I got to sit down and watch it one of these yeah, days. Yeah, it, it so. is a depressing yeah. it is a depressing term that I that I think is uh is used with a sort of pride a, a sort of pridefulness almost nowadays, but I think uh I personally don't I'm not with that. I think it's a little it's yeah. a little bit of a downer for me. I don't It's misconstru- it's very misconstrued and what he explores in that movie is is, is yeah, exactly. It's what, basically what it that is, is how the complexities of just the phrase Chirac and how it's um, yeah, exactly. Um, like a major theme in that movie is how words have no power, and you could say Chirac and say you're from Chirac, but you really don't know what it means, and that's why in the movie they give up sex, like a physical desire, and that's when the men change, and I think that's brilliant storytelling. And I have to ask you guys, what is your favorite? spike lee movie because there's like 50 to choose from but that is my one of my favorites by him mine's definitely do the right thing yeah, yeah. I same, love do the right same thing. for me and same for me do the right thing we're all I on the same page haven't, then. <laughs> haven't seen two I've, I've probably seen three spike lee movies um and i desperately need to see more but yeah. i do the right thing i think is uh, an amazing movie danny aiello actually just passed away yes sadly. yes uh but yeah he's that's... so good in that movie mm-hmm. yeah that that one is extremely relevant today too oh yes uh, so yeah yeah nice good number six all right my number six i've talked about this on the podcast <sighs> john has uh, talked about it in the it, podcast then. a recurring <laughs> yeah. theme huh? let's just skip all of mine uh, John's talked about the podcast. I've talked about this director on the podcast. Um, it is a 2012 film by my favorite director ever, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. It is The Master, starring Joaquin Phoenix and uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's kind of like a. That's kind. It kind of sounds like a typical movie to put on a top ten list, doesn't it? Like the master. Come on, bro. Uh, Joaquin, the master, really. With Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so like, I think Jake said this earlier. I'm really, I'm trying to mix up my list where I don't have, say, multiple people's work or just if say movies are very similar, have very similar qualities. I'm not gonna put them. Uh, it put them in this top 10 list just because I like a nice variety uh, on my top 10 list. You know, a good, <laughs> a nice helping of variety. Um, so I'd, I had to put a Paul Thomas Anderson on this list. It was between, you know, 
I think Paul Thomas Anderson has had an incredible decade. He's made The Master. He's made Inherent Vice. He's made Phantom Thread. Um, it was between those three movies, so I chose The Master um, uh, essentially because I've always... <laughs> The simple reason that I've always watched this movie and been so amazed and and have just I have just believed so strongly that this movie is going to be remembered for years for just not only how um, rich it is, um, rich it is in uh, theme and character, but also in just the incredible performances, which I dare anybody out there to match these performances um and it it really represents um like a point in paul thomas anderson's career where he started to collaborate with actors in a new way where he was not only um really um letting the actors like like in freeing the actors to uh you know, do their own thing and bring their own um, energy and interpretation to the character, but also letting them uh, have a part in writing the film. And if you, I've watched lots of, I've watched about every Paul Thomas Anderson, like interview there is. And if you watch um, ones about the master, he'll, you know, talk or, or one, you know, ones with Philip Seymour Hoffman as well. They'll both talk about how they, they were, they kind of conceived this material itself and kind of um, overviewed the evolution and, and kind of just changed how, you know, like Philip Seymour Hoffman essentially had a lot of input into his character and the character dynamic between him and Joaquin Phoenix and how this material was going to be um, portrayed and just the overall narrative. And I think it just shows incredibly um, as you see these two guys so invested in these characters um, and creating so many nuances in this movie that I think you could interpret this movie in so many ways in almost uh, every you can almost interpret it in more ways than any Paul Thomas Anderson movie which really says a lot and I think that I have thought about this movie and um, had different theories on it more than any movie in my 2010s decade list. So that's my number six. Yeah. Nice. PTA. Obviously a great movie. Definitely one of the best of the, of the decade. Uh, and Joaquin Phoenix, another mm-hmm. one we should mention, is probably one of the uh, finest actors of the decade, too. Yes. One of the, one of the biggest <laughs> Fine ones. actor. What a fine actor that yes. is. And uh, who knows? Maybe next year Joker will slip into your top ten. Of the <laughs> oh no! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I. It was hard not to put a PTA on my top ten. I, he's he's also one of my favorite directors, and I was tempted to put Phantom Thread. I, I adore that movie, but The Master is a masterpiece, dare I say, and yeah, the duality of their characters is is it's ultimately like it's a love story right and it's it's they need each other um they're polar opposites they wish they could be each other and like you said you can interpret that movie in a million different directions and that's the mark of a brilliant brilliant filmmaker and they're they're yeah there's so much just like not only performances but imagery that um yes that like leaves you open-ended and 
leaves you thinking, um, which is just to me like what uh, great art does. And um, also Johnny Greenwood's score is, um, oh, yeah. um, you know, just unbelievable. I've listened to it so many times. And yeah. when you have, you know, two of the best uh, actors of a generation, you know, one of the best filmmakers of a generation and one of the best uh, musician composers, like uh, it's really hard for it not to turn out uh, to be something special. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, if you combine Joaquin Phoenix, Philip, Se- Philip Seymour Hoffman, Johnny Greenwood, Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, you're going to knock it out of the park, most yeah. likely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. There's going to be some, something strong that's going to come out of it. Yeah. Nice. Um, all right, that was number six, right? Yes. Yep. All right. Uh, my number six, um, This is. I was also thinking, trying to think of variety when I started my list. There you uh, go. But, but, <laughs> but uh, ultimately, I realized ten through six on my list are definitely action heavy. Yeah, with, I've uh, noticed that. <laughs> with the the exception, I guess, of Ex Machina, um, it's, there's not a whole lot of action in there. But uh, um, this but I wish number there six, was. <laughs> I w- there should have been more action. That <laughs> been number eight. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this one is basically my uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, oh, and my it's, God. I went with Skyfall. Ooh. <laughs> Great. Um, no, no. The Adele movie. Great pick. The Adele movie, yes. <laughs> Great pick. I usually stop watching right after uh, the intro <laughs> with Adele's song. Um, <laughs> uh, but From yeah. the guy who is on, notoriously, is on the Bond. Yes. Uh, the Bond binge right now. As everyone knows, I'm on the Bond binge now, <laughs> and uh, thankfully I have gotten out of Roger Moore territory because, thank God, I, I love one of Roger Moore's Bond movies, and the other ones I just kind of am sick of. And uh, I saw a lot of low ratings. Yes, yes, I, and I'm finally I'm finally getting out of that, and I'm getting closer to Daniel Craig, who uh, is probably my favorite Bond, just because of simply Skyfall and Casino Royale. Yeah. Um, but uh, Skyfall, another uh, movie, um, who uh, Roger Roger Deakins was the cinematographer on, um, highlighted on this list a few times now. But uh, yes, on top of that, it's just um, it's a great sort of traditional Bond spy story with a great villain. One of the things that I can't stand about a lot of the Roger Moore movies, uh, or even Timothy Dalton too, where I'm at now, is like, I don't care about the villain. The villain is so lame and boring and i i don't even remember them that well um but javier bardem um, portrays a great villain here and silva um and it's it's um more of a grittier bond than um any of the pierce brosnan ones that came before it too and uh yeah and mentioning roger deakins again it looks amazing there's so many of these oh scenes. yes um the komodo dragon scene bond is just like floating on this river too with all these these lanterns it's yeah it, it blows me away it, it makes me think that if roger deakins was uh um the cinematographer for all these impeachment hearings that i would rewatch <laughs> these over and over again uh but, but yeah skyfall is one I, I really loved when i saw it, a really rewatchable one and it's like like with mission impossible fallout for you it's i don't know it's just one of those action movies that i uh 
Yeah, it's can't get enough stadium of it. status. I want to go to the United Center right now and watch <laughs> yeah. this. Yeah. <laughs> I I love Skyfall a ton and what you touched on too is it's visually stunning, like insanely great looking. Um it's also like you said with Fallout, uh with Luke said about Fallout, it, it it's like set piece heaven that movie. It really moves mm. really fluidly from set piece to set piece so well. And what I think and that's great. And but I, what I really think puts that movie over the, over the top for me is his relationship with M and Judy Dench in that movie, and that final set piece is yeah, just yeah. heartbreaking. And yeah. that relationship he had with her, like you don't see that a lot in action movies. It's just a true human relationship. And yeah. I think I would contend is the best Daniel Craig Bond movie. You know, Casino Royale is close to perfect, but didn't really reach the levels of especially action sequences that yeah, skyfall hit yeah mm-hmm. yeah i've seen this movie uh once and the one time i saw it i just remember being so blown away by that final set piece just mm. couldn't believe how all out they went with it and yeah that's a really good point that jake brought up about um how, the fact that all this um maneuvering that daniel craig is doing in this final set piece is all to protect M and how important um their dynamic is um yeah it really adds a new layer to the this movie um yeah yeah and i i've 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 wanted to rewatch it like so many times for so long i'm going to have to cuz there is a new bond coming um but yeah yes sir hell yeah yeah and that's uh, yeah that is a good point because i also think judy dench and daniel craig have such a such great chemistry as bond yeah they and really do too. incredible whereas really in a lot of the previous with a lot of the previous bonds, M is just <laughs> there's no Not, real personal sort of yeah. connection between them. They're just sort of colleagues in a way. Um, yeah. yeah, this really, uh, I guess, brings them together well. As obviously with um, uh, if you if you put this in the real world, with how much they work together and all these um, crazy important things, they would definitely have some sort of deep personal connection. So, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And on top of that. The Adele, the Adele song, everyone, everyone <laughs> loves. Uh, How could uh, you not? I downloaded on my iPod. Yes, it was I on my iPod, iPod Shuffle for years, man. <laughs> so good. Yeah, that's my uh, that's my number six. Um, Love it. Yeah, with that, maybe we should take a quick break, and uh, and and then we'll get to five through one of the decade. So stay tuned. Can't wait. All right, everyone, that is part one of our top 10 of the decade list. We'll be back next week with the rest of the episode five through one. So stay tuned for that and have a great holiday season. And we will return in January with our top 30 of 2019. So get ready for that. And in the meantime, stay tuned for five through one. Part two, top 10 of the decade. All right, see you later.